welcome back to another episode of Creative Ops. I'm your host, Christopher Talon. I was especially privileged to get to talk to somebody in one of my favorite creative genres, stand-up comedy. I spoke with Chanel Ali. You may have heard of Chanel. She's been on several different platforms. Her stuff is on YouTube. She's been on MTV, True TV, The Food Network, all over the place. Comedy Central, if I didn't already say that one. And her debut album, Chanel Number no. 1, was picked by National Public Radio, otherwise known as NPR, as the best stand-up comedy album of 2020. So we're going to get to that in just a second. But first, let me just real quick tell you about the friends of the show. This show is made possible in part, large part, thanks to Hey Guys Media Group. Go check them out at heyguysmediagroup.com. They have podcasting services to where all you want to do is talk on a mic They can do all the other production aspect, or they can teach you how to do all of that, get you set up with the gear you need, and give you gentle encouragement and technical wisdom, and help you make your podcast the way you want to do it. Check out Hey Guys Media Group at heyguysmediagroup.com, and let them help you make your podcast. Rivertown Adventures in Lansing, Michigan has been a longtime proud sponsor of the show, and you should definitely go there because that has been one of the saving graces throughout the pandemic for the city of Lansing is that people could still get together outside in a socially responsible way. And now that the pandemic is, you know, still among us, but life is starting to get back to normal, it's an even better time to get outside, enjoy the sun, enjoy the wind in your face, enjoy the water under you, rivertownadventures.com, live free, go paddle. Get on Facebook right now, look up Baby Farm Soaps, and buy one of everything for yourself and five more of everything else to give to your friends. It's the best stuff in the world. And if you're looking for a fun gift, you can buy one of their many products. They've got soaps, lip balms, sunscreens, beard oils, all kinds of stuff. And you can get them customized. You know, the product is going to be the product, but you can get the packaging, the label. You can get it to say, happy birthday, Merry Christmas, congratulations on your anniversary, you know, whatever. Check them out. They make great stuff. It's all organic, excellent quality. I stand by it personally. Baby Farm Soaps on Facebook. Go check it out. Fresh Coast Seed Co., They're the best at what they do. Go check them out. They're on Instagram. If you are in the medical marijuana community, these are the people. They won a gold cup at the last Detroit Cannabis Cup. That says it all. They took home the gold at the Cannabis Cup. Fresh Coast Seed Co. Check them out. As I was saying, Chanel Ali is one of the bright young faces of comedy. She's an outstanding comedian, really nice person. You, you can tell right away that she's not a comedian who feels like they have to be on all the time. And even when you see her on stage, she doesn't feel like she's... You know, we talk about this. The, there's some comedians who are almost standing on the edge of the stage just begging for your laughter. And then there's some that just kind of hang back and are like, whatever, I know I'm funny. She's more the latter. She has a quiet confidence, some strange observations, and uh, just a overall a lot of fun to talk to. Great comedian. And... Uh, You'll, you'll hear us in the beginning of this interview kind of talking about uh, comedy in the in the Zoom era, but then we'll get into uh, more about her and her, her background and how she got started in comedy, how she writes jokes, and, uh, you know, all those, all those kinds of things. Uh, this also, I should mention, is keeping the streak going. Now I've got two people in a row from Philly on the show. The last one was Pedro the Roadie Rodriguez. Go check that out if you haven't. He was the uh, longtime tour manager for KMFDM. And now... I've got Chanel Ali working on the uh, the comedy angle. So check out the old shows. 
Make sure that you visit Chanel Ali on any of the platforms where you can download comedy, whether it be Spotify or on YouTube or wherever. She's on Comedy Central. She's got stuff on uh, the Food Network where she hosted the food debate. She's out there. Go check her out. I'll have all of her stuff linked up in the show notes as well. So uh, enjoy my first interview with the stand-up comedian, the one and only number one comedy album of 2020, Chanel Ali. I could get and um it it was at first it was kind of different because a lot of people are shy and they don't want to turn on their microphones and it's like another level of trying to get them to engage with you because when we do comedy a a comedy show it's like if everyone is laughing you feel more comfortable to open your mouth and make a weird sound if you you know it's like this weird (laughs) human thing that we should feel confident in doing but sometimes if things don't align, we're like, no, I don't want to be the only one laughing. And so when you're home alone, you really don't want to be the only one laughing because then, you know, you worry somebody could hear you and yeah. call someone and, and be worried <laughs> that you're just giggling so much, you know. But um, it also was like a, a gift and a curse because a lot of opportunities opened up digitally over the last few years, over the last year. And because I would had been doing so many Zoom shows and was so comfortable just sitting in front of my computer telling my jokes whether there was laughter or not yeah i was super prepared for those so i did um i taped some some jokes for the drew barrymore show i did it on zoom with her staff everybody was muted all their cameras off you know i'm just is that is that weird though because like one of the things that i was going to ask you about was i wrote down some comedy terms that i've heard before and one of them is like a beat and that's kind of like when you're say something and then you wait for the reaction before you start talking right so yeah. that seems like something that, by the way, uh, I've I've watched your stuff that's on YouTube and you are great at just like waiting for it. Um, yeah. But it's do you feel like there's a different skill or that skill goes out the window completely when you're doing online shows? I think you have to like play into it even more because now there's an echo sometimes or a lag and you don't know if they're with you every single second because you don't know how fast this information is being translated out. So it teaches you to, to even more so plug in that pause and make sure you give people a chance because even in the way that zoom works with the speaker, if they're laughing and you start talking again, you'll cut them off immediately and you'll become the dominant voice and you can step on your laps and then get into this push and pull with people where they're not sure if they're allowed to, you know, make a sound. So it's tricky, but um, you know, I just felt like it was our only option for a while. And it's one of those things where it's like, if I don't practice stand-up comedy, you know, it's it's just not like other genres or other type of uh, ways that people prepare for being an artist. You know, I can't. Yeah. Yeah. You can't just like sit down at the piano and practice where the, you know, practice where the laughs come in. Yeah, totally. So it's, it's been a push and pull, but um, I think it's made us stronger. the, The comics that have really, really committed to like learning how to do it this way and also now I'm booking a lot more like corporate gigs like companies who've been working from home and they want to bring in a comedian and have us you know just tell some jokes to them that feels really great and really challenging so you know I'm glad that you brought that up because that's actually another one of the 
terms that I had written down, a corporate gig. I've heard other comedians on other podcasts talk about them. And generally, they seem to have like a negative view because they're like, half of the time, nobody cares that you're even up there. You're just like the entertainment in the corner, like the jazz band, you know, like, and you're just kind of talking to people talking over you. Does it, do you feel that? It It can definitely be difficult. And sometimes they'll want you to like, like sometimes people confuse comedians for clowns and (laughs) they're not totally sure that they need a comedian or they need a clown for their event. They're not really sure. So they ask us to do it, and then they ask us to do some clown ass shit. And we're like, no, 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 no. I'm not going to, like, dance in front of, like, I'm not going to get everybody to clap with me. And, like, that's just not, that's not my job. It's not what I came here to do, you know. But yeah. And, and that's especially not your energy either. Like, one, one of the things yeah. I like about your comedy is that some people try to get every last ounce of comedy they can out, like, even with their eyebrows. And they're just you know, like yeah. almost jumping yeah. off the stage at you with their energy. And yours is like the other. Yours is more like, you come to me. I'm going yes. to be here. You I come like to, to me. I like to be the performance and I like to really be drawing in the audience. I want them to get lean in and feel like, oh man, I can't totally even hear what she's about to say, but I want to hear it so badly that yeah. I'll like shush my friend and do what I have to do. But yeah, and also corporate gigs sometimes will give us crazy rules. Like I did a corporate gig for uh, Kind Bars like oh, the okay. snack bar yeah, company. Yeah, yeah. It was a big a big show, like a big online show. They had like most of their uh staff online and they were like, uh, we just don't want you to do like any candy bar jokes. Like just no Snickers material, no referencing snacks, snack bars. Like just don't even do it at all. And it was like I don't have any jokes about snack bars. I don't. I just don't don't happen to, but all of a sudden I really wanted to. I just immediately wanted to write the most polarizing candy bar joke <laughs> that comedy had ever heard. I was like, I want to start a race war now with my <laughs> 100 grand bits. And it's like this crazy thing. It's like comedians are often the type of kids that used to get in trouble in school for doing things that people explicitly told them not to do, you know? And yeah. it's yeah, yeah, yeah. in that corporate realm when you're really trying to get good money from comedy, but they also want you to really, really clean it up. It's like a push and pull and it can be hard to balance. Yeah, well, I remember very specifically the first time that we met, and I was like, "You're a comedian," and I think I just tried to steal you for the rest of the night until you were eventually like, "Okay, this guy's weird." <laughs> but um, you were like, uh, we were talking about clean comedy, and you're like, "Yeah, I don't do it. I've had people ask me to do it, and I just, I'm just like, no." Is that still where but you're see, at? You met that? you you met me at such an early point in my career. Like, I I feel arrogant even reminiscing back then and thinking like, I'm walking around. <laughs> saying that I was a comedian like had I done comedy yes was I a comedian I don't I don't really think so yet you know um and now I have lots of experience doing clean comedy um I've I've cleaned up bits for tv I've had to uh, the Drew Barrymore show that I did the other day that had to be squeaky squeaky clean and it gave me a little anxiety it gave me a little anxiety the night before because they didn't a lot of those shows they don't really ask you what you're going to joke about like they'll give you a couple of topics but they'll say hey we don't want like no more Trump jokes, retired, retired. But like, other than that, though, they usually let you go. So I was a little nervous, like, man, what if this is not as clean as they want? Or what if my subject matter is challenging to them? But then I had to like, just like be confident and trust myself and know that like, you know, I, I'm capable of telling jokes that are not reliant on a swear word or something really harsh. I can, I can crack an audience up talking about something that's wholesome as well. And being able to do that makes you like a double threat in comedy. But also, sometimes you need to like, you know, 
cuss and spit and and talk about balls and it's like I <laughs> it, it to me it feels like when you ask an artist like a painter like hey can you only use like neutral colors and they're like no I can't I have all of this language I'm a comedian I play with words I'm passionate about that turn of phrase so it's uh it's it's this constant you know trying to please the people that are paying you but also trying to stay true to yourself as an artist yeah I'm going to say something and it might sound like I'm making your comedy way oversimplified, but I kind of, from, from what I've seen and heard of you kind of put your jokes into like one of two places, one where it's like, you'll find just an interesting in on a story, like, <laughs> like you're dating your Uber driver. Um, you know, just a way to look at something that people don't usually look at it, but then you'll sometimes say something that's uh, like from that same bit or not same bit, but from that same um, spot on comedy central, the, you relate with babies because they just think that you're a overgrown. Where does stuff like that come from? The <laughs> where you're yeah, like, that's I not think, really a story. That's just like something you think, think of I, when you're joking around or what? I always have classified myself as a storyteller, especially like early, early in my career. A lot of people used to compare me to Bill Cosby. Now, of course, they don't ever say that anymore. What <laughs> can you do? Um, so I do like to tell stories, and a lot of my jokes are rooted in real. They're rooted in real experiences, things that I've that have happened to me and that I think are interesting and maybe I've embellished a little more to make it hilarious. But yeah. also like I, I love and am more passionate, more passionate than even I can say I am about being a comedian or comedy. I'm extremely passionate about being silly. Like just the yeah. entire concept of being a silly person, that yeah. is something that really resonates with me. And it's one of the reasons that I became so attracted to comedy as a young girl. It's because I was seeing all these adults who, for lack of a better word, had good paying jobs and a lot of esteem, and they were, you know, very popular, and they were doing wild and crazy, silly things in movies and on television and on stage, and it just like always just blew my mind that you could make a career off of silly, you know. So yeah. I sometimes will have an idea for a joke, and it's just a silly, crazy, what if it was this way type thought that I had, and um, that's a skill that you have to learn sometimes is to let your imagination take you away, but. Um, yeah, I love being silly. And that bit about babies is just rooted in silly. It's like no yeah. message. I'm not trying to sneakily get all the babies in the cult, you know. And I, <laughs> I think about that all the time, about the power we have speaking into microphones in front of crowds. But it's like, I just want to challenge people to think outside the box a little. All right. I want to talk a little bit about your process of like actually crafting and trying out jokes and all that. But I kind of want to break into more of a little bit of a like a get to know you kind of a thing so you're from the philadelphia area or philadelphia yeah. proper mm -hmm. yeah okay yeah. so you lived there until you were how long what, what, what happened you did you go to michigan state or what what brought you out to east lansing yeah i went to uh, i went to michigan for grad school i thought man i think i'm gonna get like a double combo degree i had went to undergrad at uh, in philly at temple and um, I had tried comedy right before. So this is like, I'm 22. I just graduated college. My whole life, I've known that I'm a comedian, but I'm afraid to say it out loud because it sounds mm. crazy. And yeah. I want people to respect me as an adult. Um, and so then I try comedy. Like I go to open mic for the first time and my friend signs me up. Like I didn't even have a set plan. And I just get up there and I talk to a room of people and it's like magic. It's like everything aligns, everything clicks. 
and instantly I'm like, this is real. This is a thing. The thing you always thought you could do, you totally can. And if you actually work at it, maybe you'll have a career. Let's see what could happen. But still feeling like it was crazy. I had already applied to grad school. So I went, I packed up my stuff and I went to Michigan and I did a couple open my clothes in Michigan, but that whole year and a half that I spent in Michigan, which was really the only time I was there before I dropped out of school, actually, um, was really just me like soul searching. I really credit that time with Michigan. Like I was figuring uh, shit out because you, you get into this, this point in your life when you have an opportunity to pursue something that really is important to you. And then mm-hmm. you also have this, this fear and this pressure from society telling you like you should conform and be normal and responsible. And like, you yeah. can't just be an artist, you, you, you pothead, like just go <laughs> find an industry. Um, but yeah, Michigan really helped me sort it out. And I just, I decided that happiness is a real thing that I deserve and can have. And, uh, so then after I left Michigan, I just focused all of my efforts on getting back to Philly. I moved right back and just from the bottom, just grinded it. I went to all the open mics. I went to every club. I went to every show until everyone, the entire city had seen me and everyone was talking about Chanel Ali. And how was the scene there when you started? Was there a lot of places to perform? Um, there was a good amount of like multi-genre open mics. So I could go mm. to open mic where they had like rappers and poets and comedians mm. and like yeah, yeah, yeah. all types of things. And those were really amazing, uh, especially like in a city because they often wouldn't time you. So they would just let me go as a young comedian to get on stage and get like 12 to 15 minutes every time. It was, I, I grew exponentially in the scene because I was always seeking out open mics and opportunities to tell a lot of jokes. Um, and were you looking for like, oppor- sorry were you looking for opportunities to get more time too because like i've heard a lot of comedians say that the the first step is getting a good solid five minutes right yeah totally getting a good five is a constant all, all throughout your career as a comedian you're trying to get a, a new five that's that's killer yeah. um so yeah i was i was always seeking out opportunities to get on stage like i was a maniac and would count how many minutes i had a night and uh, sometimes in Philly, I was able to, you know, get 40 minutes in before the night is over. That's a lot for a young comic. So it really helped me get my stride. And then after two years, I moved to New York and I just took off, you know, it was just like a bowl. I had worked so hard and I was so ready when I got there. I had jokes that were already like just ready for them. And I was ready to just take that, that new scene by storm. And I just did the same thing again just until everybody was talking about me and I developed that plan because of an interview that Dave Chappelle did forever ago when he said that he came up from DC as a young kid and he just got on everybody's radar he just made himself so indispensable to the city that everyone is saying have you seen this kid this kid has come out he's man he's so funny he comes around and now he's blah blah blah. and I just followed that exact framework and it just happened like that it just became magic (laughs) well that's one question I wanted to ask you too is do you have a favorite comedian both all time and currently working or you know maybe they're the same person um i definitely feel like dave Chappelle is my favorite comedian um specifically because i feel like he influenced me the most and um yeah I, he might I, have the most influence he, of anybody currently working because i mean he yeah. just he seems like he does things from even special to special just a little bit differently in a way that other people haven't done it before and then He's everybody else kind of, kind of starts to follow suit a little bit, you know. And you also have to remember, like, he started when he was in his early teens. So he's been getting on yeah. microphones, telling people about themselves 
using yeah, his, his mom was like driving and, him to bars when he was 15 or 16 or whatever yes. <laughs> he's like you know they always say that like i'm eight years into comedy they say that you know technically that just means i'm an eight-year-old in comedy that's not that long like it doesn't it sounds like a ton of time and trust me it has been my god i'm exhausted but also <laughs> like when you get to be dave Chappelle, you can you can do it on an extremely high level but also i would say that wanda sykes had a big impact on me growing up mm. um i always liked her specials and also she's a very like comedian's comedian I'm sorry i have a house phone that i can't turn off so we just have to wait until it stops raining um yeah Wanda Sykes influenced me a lot because she was such a comedian's comedian she had incredible writing jobs early in her career like for the Chris Rock show and shit like that she was helping other comedians push out really really poignant comedy material um also like you know she she went to Just for Laughs and she was like you know a classic awarded comedian so yeah they, they impacted me a lot um and lastly I would say Steve Martin his book about comedy saved me a few times i would say <laughs> it helped yeah. me not give up for sure for sure it helped i've heard people i've never read that book i'd really like to um but i've heard more than one other comedian say i bombed really bad one time and thought about getting out of comedy and another comedian was like read this and they're like it didn't yeah. change my whole mentality what what's the what's the like what's the big takeaway from that book like give me your two minute book mm. report the, the biggest takeaway is that it is it is hard to kill. It's hard to be exemplary at comedy and to be a star, but it's even harder to be consistently good. That mm. is really difficult. And when you can master that art of chasing being consistently good, you grow exponentially as a comic and you take yeah. yourself that much more serious because you're not chasing this high that's not rooted in some real foundation, you know? So that book helped, they helped me so much, like just develop my habits for writing jokes, trust myself about my process. Um, and, you know, also trust that failure is part of the process because we don't want to acknowledge that. We want to feel like I'll just be good at this art and everybody will love me. And then Ellen will call and then <laughs> HBO, baby. But it's not like that. Even to this day, Dave Chappelle still bombs. He still has a sold house. People come out and sometimes, he doesn't have it. Some, sometimes he has his own shit that he's going on. And it's like you you as an artist have to take both sides of that coin because in the history of even painters, I've never heard of one where they were like, man, he was just really mentally stable and he did a good <laughs> job with painting and colors and keeping his private life in order. Like it's just, it's not that, you know? So yeah. it, th those books help a lot. And learning from comedians before me is something that I'm like extremely passionate about, you know? We yeah. were, we're able, especially now with the internet, to look back and be like, hey, what was really going on? Like, let's let's hear this person's side of the story and find out, like, why'd you walk away from the show? You know, what were they doing? What can I prevent from happening to me? Hmm. Sorry, I'm going to take a second to take that all in. Um, <laughs> yeah, I know. I speak, I speak of philosophy. <laughs> yeah, no, and I appreciate that, too. Um <clears throat> One thing that I wanted to say about Wanda Sykes, too, that I always appreciated, and I don't know what it was about her. Well, I mean, <laughs> I'm going to say what it was, but I don't know what it was about that thing that she does. She has, like, one of the most intense stares when she's looking at the audience. Like, almost, yeah. like, you, <laughs> almost like, you better laugh at this. <laughs> uh, <laughs> which, I, I guess I would just attribute that to her confidence. I always thought her that when I saw her, yeah. that she was, you know, even if nobody laughed, it wouldn't change 
it wouldn't take the pep out of her step at all, you know? She knows. She knows deep down. And I, I was really lucky a couple of years ago to be, um, I did background on Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. I think it was like season three. And oh, the really? episode just, yeah, the episode just happened to be one where they were filming at the Apollo and, um, you know, the, the Mrs. Maisel character was going to perform at the Apollo, but also Mom's Mabley was going to perform at the Apollo and Mom's Mabley was played by Wanda Sykes. Um, oh, and it's like, I didn't know that was going to be happening that day. And so when I was sitting in the audience, literally at the Apollo and we're dressed in these like beautiful 19, like 50s gowns and, you know, tight girdles and stuff. And she Wanda Sykes come out and she, you know, does Mom's Mabley, which if, if you haven't seen it on the show, it's incredible. But to watch it in person was really incredible. She rehearsed it like twice and then had it. And I, I felt like I had to fight tears back because I couldn't believe what I was watching. It was like black girl comedy inception for me. And I was in this weird space where I was like, everybody else in this room is just an actor. Nobody else in here is a comedian. They don't totally grasp even what they are watching, but this is like history on top of history. And it, it was such a reminder that like moms, maybe we was doing comedy in the early 1930s, 40s around America. She was killing it. Her albums still today are so funny. She was pushing the boundary with her sexuality. Like, man, it's just incredible how comedians yeah. have balls. This is amazing. All these ladies with balls in comedy. <laughs> I love it. I'm, <clears throat> I'm excited to see that. I've seen, I think I saw the first two seasons of it. Um, but that seems like a good acting stretch for, for Wanda. Cause a lot of times the things you see her in and she's more or less just playing herself or some kind of version of herself. So yeah, totally. And, and her presentation she on stage is not the same. She channeled her. Yeah. yeah. She, you could tell, like, I don't know if they had somebody working with her, obviously somebody historically was giving her pointers, but I was like, wow, this is amazing. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah. Cause yeah. I'm glad to see that she's getting a role where she can uh, still be still be in comedy, but then get to like be somebody who's just 180, not her too. That's cool. Um, I want to I want to tell you if you want to know, um, kind of like my short my short description of how I write jokes. If you want to hear it, (laughs) yeah, no, that was that was the next thing that I wanted to move into too. Is um because I'm a I'm a writer. I write. uh, I've actually got a novel that's with a publisher right now. Hopefully that'll get published, and that would be my first published novel. Um, so I'm super interested in just writing for whatever sake, comedy, fiction, nonfiction, whatever. Um, Mm. so the first thing I think I was going to ask you about, uh, about writing is, do you actually sit down with a writing utensil or a computer or whatever, or voice to text, whatever it is and go, here's my premise. Here's my setup. Here's my punt. Like, or do you just kind of like do it jazz style like talk it out and see what see what's good and then write down when you think you got something i definitely do both but um i i sometimes think like if if i set out a a time and a date like well 3 p.m on thursday i'm gonna sit and write my brain will just shut down like it'll just close off every funny thing i've ever (laughs) felt or thought and just like you can't dig through that so the first thing i always do is uh just like live in a world of yes so that if my friends pull up in a car and they're like, hey, we're driving to Michigan, there's crazy good weed there. We'll be back tomorrow. It won't affect your schedule. Are you down? Like, if I don't have a real good reason to say no, I say yes. And that's that already sounds like the beginning of a great joke. 
totally. Because when you put yourself in those type of situations, you open yourself up to inspiration. You open yourself up to new conversations with people. And sometimes that sparks it with me. I'll just be talking to someone and they'll naturally say something that'll remind me of a thing that has happened to me or a thing that I thought was interesting. And I'll be like, man, that was, that's really like affecting me. I feel connected to that. I want to explore that. I'm going to talk about that on stage. And so then yeah. I'll, I sometimes will write a premise if I already feel like I have the wording. Like, hey, have you guys ever looked at a baby and thought, this baby's looking at me like I'm up to something? Like, whatever the premise is, sometimes I'll write it down. But other times, I'll just take it on stage. I'll just sandwich it in my set between some jokes that I know always work and jokes that I can close with. And in between those jokes, I'll put in a brand new premise and I'll just talk it out. I'll even sometimes say out loud after a few lines, like, yeah, I don't know where I'm going with this yet I'm just going to put a pin there and then we'll move on because I don't know I haven't figured it all out yet and that's the beauty of comedy it's like I can only sit at home with a notebook and write so much the most incredible comedy you can write happens in the moment it happens when you connect to that path in the universe and it just pulls those funny things out of you that natural experience that natural storytelling Uh, So yeah, I do have lots of notebooks and I have some of them that are half full, some of them that have like random weird pages. I also rely on my phone. I have a set list in my phone for every set I've done over the last eight years. You can give me a date. I could scroll back and tell you what jokes I told that night, where I was. And sometimes even they'll have notes after the set where I came back and was like, this joke has to go. It's not funny. I don't know what you're talking about or other jokes where I'm like, yo, they're laughing at this part. And that part's not the joke, but we need to explore that further because they're hearing something different. Like, right. let's put this, there's some magic here, you know? So There's gold to be mined there, yeah. It's it, You have to be a little meticulous in it, for sure. You have to, like, take it seriously and, and, and have it be, like, a practice thing that you do in a refinement always. Because I always feel like a joke is never done. It's never yeah. finished. Yeah, I feel the same way better. when I write something. And until Until I actually have a deadline and someone says, all right, give it to me then I'll be working on it right up until that last second before I hand it in. Yeah. Like that, like that like dumb kid in class who's still working on his test when everyone else is done. <laughs> <laughs> and if I really need to like find inspiration, I'll just like scroll through my phone and hit up an old friend and like not tell them like, Hey, I'm calling you because I'm fishing for a, a joke premise. I'll just be like, Hey, what's going on with you? Like, let's reminisce. Let's talk about. Ooh, but does anybody ever call your bullshit and go, Hey, wait a second. Last time you called me like this. <laughs> No, but sometimes I think just because like I'm naturally a funny person, especially with my friends, I'll get them laughing so much and they'll be like, hey, are you doing bits at me? And I'll be like, no. But now that I've said that at you, I do realize it is a bit. And I am now going to use that bit going forward. <laughs> well, what about if you're hanging out with other comedians and you guys are both talking about something funny? Do you have to be like, hey, can I use this on stage or do you, are you going to? Sometimes. Sometimes I've had people say that to me. I've had people say, hey, or like they told me about a joke that they did or I saw them do a joke. And when they got off stage, I was like, hey, that's kind of funny. It's kind of like this and that and that. And they're like, oh, man, I didn't think about can I? And I'm like, take it. I'm not I'm not going to use it. I don't give a go ahead. Go crazy, man. You want you want to hear more of my thoughts, you know, but also I've had the flip side where um, comedians will come up to me and be like, hey, I have a great tag for your joke. And I'll be like, shut the fuck up. I do not want to hear any of your ideas for like unless you are my best best friend in comedy or probably Dave Chappelle I don't care I don't want to hear it because you know I don't I don't want to speak I don't want to speak for nobody else I so want the if, jokes to be mine if, if uh 
if like Joe Rogan or Tiffany Haddish was like, hey, you know what you could say here? You'd be like, uh-uh. Yeah, I totally wouldn't do it, no. But I wouldn't, I would, I would like in the moment, I would front with them and be like, Tiffany, dang, that's, wow, that's so nice. Thank you so much. Because in my mind, I'm like, she's not going to remember this. She's not going to be checking out to see if I changed this joke. Joe Rogan's <laughs> not going to listen to a podcast that I'm on and make sure. But yeah, no, it's, and it's also like a safe fail, a safe net. Like I put out an album in, in 2019 or 2020 and I was like, these jokes are a hundred percent mine. Nobody's ever helped me. Nobody's ever sat with me and made them better or gave just, me stuff like not not just an album though, because that album got some pretty good traction on NPR, did it not? Yes, it did. It got some great traction on NPR. It helped me book a pilot just because somebody was listening to NPR that day and was like, "Man, this girl's funny." And just oh, I was gonna let me. you say it, but you didn't say it. They NPR said it was the best comedy album of the year, right? Yes, we ranked number one. A boom. Number one. And it's my first album, my debut album, my baby. I put so much hard work into that thing. And even now, sometimes I listen to it, like I'll just catch a track on my Spotify randomly and I'll make myself laugh. And it's, it, that's weird. It's like this weird feeling of like, I know what I'm about to say, but yeah. hearing it hit is still kind of funny to me. It's still And have you ditched enjoyable. all that material? I've ditched a lot of it. A lot of it. Um, the other day, that, my manager was saying... Because I ma- I would imagine like you it kill with painful, stuff so many was... times and then you just got to be like okay bye. It, it was painful, but it also was like it took me a while to do the album. You know, it took me like six months from recording it to like putting it out. So mm. I had a lot of time to reconcile with like oh, what's about to happen. But also like there's not a ton of rules. Sometimes when I go out on the road, even now people want to hear those jokes. They don't want to hear yeah. the whole album. They are dying right, right. for some new stuff. Um, and luckily but I have hey, I've been able to write. Yeah, some of them are like, they'll do that. Or like, um, I, I used to have a Food Network show uh, called Food Debate. It had one season. You can look it up on YouTube. It's very silly. And sometimes people will come to my comedy show and they'll be like, do the, do the talk about that episode of Hot Dogs. And I'm like, that's, I can't, <laughs> I can't redo that show for you right now. Was that um, at the corporate you know, event? Do you know how to talk? <laughs> no. No, I wish. I don't corporate event people never know who I am. <laughs> they never know that's, my history. That's a that's a callback for you non comedy folks. <laughs> that's what we're doing. That's what we're doing. Oh, you know, I wanted to ask you earlier, you must have been a decent student, right? Because you got a bachelor's degree, you I got was. into so twenty two, you did an open mic and that kind of just blew the doors off and you were like, Okay, school not so much, or was school kind of like um was that a thing where you were like, uh, I'm not really doing great and I don't like it? Or would, would you have done just fine? I've always said that I'm one of those people that um, masters anything if I really put my mind to it. And I always felt that way about school. Like I remember one time I was watching these kids get ushered out of school in like eighth grade. They're putting them on a special bus. And I asked this girl what was going on. She was like, well, all the kids on there had a 4.0. And so they're going uh, on a skate party today. They don't have to go to school. They get to go ice skating all day and eat pizza and there's going to be a DJ. And I remember in that moment deciding next year I'm going on that fucking trip (laughs) and nobody can stop me. And I didn't care that much about getting straight A's. I used to do the bare minimum and keep it at a B if I could, but I got a 4.0 the next semester and I got on that bus and I went to that party because it motivated me that much. I was like, I am just as good as anybody. I'm going to do it so good. So I always felt like that, that same way with school. Like I could just keep going and maybe get a, masters and then a doctor I could be a doctor one day I could do anything if I just pick it but 
I never felt particularly attracted to anything other than comedy. So it always felt a little dishonest, even yeah. in school, even in college. It felt a little like a lie. It felt yeah. like I'm kind of lying, but everybody well, else. Because you had decided, this. you said on um, what what was that? Was that on a uh, backstage on Comedy Central? Yeah. And you were talking, yeah. um, God, I don't want to say her name because she has a whole joke about not saying her name wrong. <laughs> we were talking about uh, just being brave enough to admit that we were comedians. And... But yeah, and you said that you had chosen that at a very young age, right? Yeah, at like seven. At seven, I remember having the first fully formed thought. I remember that day, I remember where I was, looking at the TV, I was watching Martin Lawrence. I had watched his special maybe like twice that day. And I was starting to kind of like mimic him and do some of his bits. And I was just like, I'm one of these people. I am absolutely one of these people. Whatever it is that makes up this, it's yeah. also in me. But also, like, I shouldn't tell everybody because that sounds crazy. And I don't want to deal with the constant, you know, well, if you're a comedian, then comedian at me. <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's, 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 tell me a joke. You, do you, do you what, have you a know? joke in your back pocket for when someone's like, oh, you're a comedian? Tell me a joke. I don't. I always say that, um, you know, I'm, I'm not really in the business of telling jokes for free anymore. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and that's sometimes cool. that hits. Sometimes they, they like that. But most of the time I just tell them, like, I'm actually off duty right now. So <laughs> <laughs> if you if you want to exist in a world where comedians who are off stage can't turn it off, I promise you it's not that good. You're not going to like it. So I'm like, hey, you should enjoy that you can hang out with me and that I can also be a chill person who does this activity that is not very chill <laughs> yeah i mean but there are a couple of comedians for sure like i'm trying to think of one maybe like brian callen i would imagine a guy like that is just never stops trying to make everybody in the room laugh but yeah, yeah. for the most part I've, I've it seems like most comedians are like anybody else or even like a little bit more withdrawn than everybody else which is where all those where interesting I'm, opinions come from some of us are on the spectrum, for sure, <laughs> you know? Um, but also, like, I remember one time I did a show with uh, uh, Tommy Davidson, who's, like, a, a very popular oh, comic in, like, the late 90s, but he's dude, always been, like, yeah. a, a big In living color, and he was the dude in the backpack he on... A lot of physicality. He moves around a ton, and yeah, I didn't yeah. know, like, going backstage, like, is he going to be like that, or is he going to be chill? And he was totally like that. He was not chill at all. He talked, talked, talked. He was like asking well, hey, me hey, about, hey. yeah, he was asking me like, hey, there's, um, you know, there's a Philly rapper. He was, he was visiting Philly. He was headlining and I was trying to get a spot on a show. And he was like, a Philly rapper asked me to like do some, some time on his album. Have you ever heard of him? And I was like, no, please don't do that. What is like, I remember feeling like, why are you asking me for advice? You just met me. You don't even know me. Also, who is giving you advice? This is crazy, you know, but that worked for him, and I also watched him work on a lot of jokes over the the, sh the shows that I saw him do, and he was dope. He was great. Yeah, yeah. He seems like one of those guys that he could just he could just make it work any anywhere because, like you said, he's he's got such a good physicality and just an expressiveness that yeah, even totally. though it's high energy, it doesn't seem like it's begging. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's rooted in real. He's like, this is how I really am. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, that's, I think, where it comes from then, too, is just the authenticity. Because yeah. it seems like it would be hard to get up there and it be is anything hard. but your authentic self. Well, yeah, no, I mean, it's hard to get up there. But, like, <laughs> to try to make somebody laugh, if you're not, like, coming from a, like, well, this is what I think is funny, but you're more of a, yeah. like, 
hey, here's my character. Ha <laughs> uh, ha Yeah. <laughs> but I don't it's know. Is that, is that something that a lot of people kind of like fall into when they try to get into comedy, like being somebody else? Or uh, totally. do, do you think, did, did you people have get, a little bit of that people, where you were like, oh shit, I'm, I sound just like so-and-so yeah. and now I gotta stop it. I did a little when I first started telling jokes. I think a lot of young women, are, our first instinct is to kind of like shock and awe. And so when I first started telling jokes, I felt like I was being a much more like outspoken version of myself that wasn't really true. It was like not really rooted in real. It was me putting on, which I obviously do when I tell jokes because it is performance, but like me making it seem like my persona is bigger and better than who I really am. And and the lady that I really am uh, is pretty nice. Like I'm rooted in a pretty nice lady, especially in the grand scheme of being an entertainer in the entertainment industry. So (laughs) I had to learn that lesson hard because um, audiences can smell when you're not being authentic. They can smell when you're putting on and you're not being your true true. So even if your bits are very funny, they're not going to connect with you. They're not going to follow you too much. They're not going to care as much about you as a person because they're, you know, they're smelling something that's a bit foul, you know? So it took me some some stinky sets to learn like you don't have to put on that much you don't have to be this extra extra version of yourself you who you are is funny enough yeah. and you can just like bring your art and just like you know be honest and be true and that, and that comes across also in how I dress like I don't dress too show that too much like a showman when I go on stage I like to do a hoodie and jeans I like to dress I don't know what, I don't know what you're talking about for everybody that can't tell she is wearing like a full dinner gown right now <laughs> Well, a podcast is different. You know, I need my wine <laughs> and my cheeses. And your elbow-length oh, yeah. gloves. Yeah. You know, this is a classic Friday night. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, I want to get into working out jokes. And there was one other thing I wanted to ask you, too. I always do this. Um, it's not a creative ops unless I forget what I was talking about at least one good time. But, okay, talking about working out jokes, I've heard guys like Dave Chappelle will go into a room where they didn't know he was going to be. Um, that's a big thing going in front of people that didn't come there for you. But then also every now and then he'll just do a set extremely low energy, just like monotone, hardly move yeah. just to see if the material works. Is that something that, uh, that you do or that a lot of comedians do from time to time? Well, I don't think we can do it on the same scale as Dave Chappelle because people won't be mad even if he doesn't <laughs> oh, yeah. move around. Like, they'll be fine. They'll be excited that they were just, like, near him, you know? They'll still want a selfie um, after, yeah. But I still play with inflection a lot. I believe about mm. – I have a lot of opinions about the musicality in comedy, about the way mm. that I make my voice bigger or make it smaller and bring them in and stretch words out. Like, I think those things are very yeah. important. You're um, and- a fucking bitch. <laughs> exactly. exactly. So I play with that a lot when I'm writing jokes, when I'm working on a joke and I'm, I'm working it out, I'll say it this way and then I'll be like, all right, this next show, I'm going to put, you know, the emphasis on this back part of the joke and see if like this is more live if I do it this way. Um, or maybe like I, I need to do a bit more of an act out, like show them with my hands, kind of like what I'm talking about, you know, draw them in and keep them really engaged. So I try a lot of things. And it always reminds me when I think about working on jokes, it reminds me of this joke I have where I said that like a lot of white people can't tell when my hair is done or not. Like they're just not sure. <laughs> they're not really sure you know? That was, that was great. The video started, they did for that. Yes. Yeah, so when I first started writing that joke, I was like, my hair could be crazy. It could be wild. I could have like 
you know, all types of debris. I could have an old like Starbucks receipt. And before I got the Starbucks receipt, I was doing that joke and putting all types of things in my hair. I was like, I could have an old napkin. I would wait. And like some people were laughing and, you know, whatever. I could have like an old screwdriver. Like I was just every week throw, saying different things that could be in my hair and engaging what, was, what it was. And when I said like, oh, a receipt from like a gas station type place, that was the thing that people were like, this is outrageous. This <laughs> bit is hilarious. This girl has figured out the formula. Um, and that was trial and error. That was trial and error of just saying it and being like, no, you guys don't like that? All right, well, next week, I'll try them out. <laughs> All right, well, that, that brings up something else too. One of the, um, yeah, one of the terms that I had written down, I had never even heard of it until I was looking up terms uh, called hammocking, which is, I don't know if that's something comedians actually call it. But like, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I don't know hammocking. But they, they say hammocking is like putting, putting a weaker joke between two strong jokes. But like oh, that yeah, seems totally. like almost something you could do if you're trying something out. Like I know this is gonna make yeah. them laugh and this is gonna make them laugh, so I'm gonna try something in between. I usually will like, especially if it's like a smaller show, I'll do like my first two bits that are heavy hitting things that I have tried and true, and then I'll sneak in that new bit and really like take my time with it and explore it because I've built up a couple bits, and if those ones have hit, then you know the audience trusts me now; they're listening. They can't wait to see what I say. And if this new bit that I just tossed in is actually no good, they'll forgive me. They won't be like, well, she has nothing. They're like, we already saw, you know, not all these are going to be good. Let's see what else she has, you know? So, yeah, well, you have to like be so the master many... of ceremony. Yeah. And there's something coming. Hold on. Wait for it. Um, <laughs> I guess I was going to say that comedy crowds since the advent of podcasts most of the podcasts i listen to are hosted by comedians um it, totally it, it seems like people that come to watch comedy a lot of them are just like nerds now they're like i'm here because i just love comedy and i want to see how they're going to do this thing and then be like oh that was a callback like you know nerd out yeah. over it like i do kind of so yeah, they, do. they do are yeah. they more forgiving like oh that was probably just a new bit um, I think so. I think they're definitely like people are more knowledgeable about the process of how comedians work on things. They mm. they understand more so like, you know, like we like I said earlier, you can't really practice at home. Um, but also like that's the thing that makes New York City so uh different in comedy is that the audiences are always so well read. They're so smart. They have read all of the op eds from this week about art and comedy. They knew exactly who was gonna be here. And so they force you to be like extremely authentic extremely introspective you have to really really bear your soul with them and it has to be like it has to be even a, a frame of reference that they can't guess because if they're ahead of you they're absolutely not going to laugh and that's that's mm. one of the biggest differences between new york crowds and like crowds anywhere else in the whole world is that they already know and you better surprise them <laughs> yeah well i mean part of part of a good joke is kind of like having a like a almost like a decoy premise and then switch it around on them. Right. So. Yeah, totally. I well, call it a misdirection. Yeah, and the, I, a yeah. lot of my bits, a lot of my bits are misdirection. Um, sometimes even my persona is misdirection. I present as like, you know, a very young, unassuming girl. And then I'll say something really heavy hitting and really biting and, you know, examine race in a very 
harsh way and they're like oh this girl's an onion and we're drawn <laughs> in we can't we don't even know what she's gonna say next because whatever we whatever we thought she was just based on her looks it's obvious like she's thinking a lot sorry i was making a note there and i then <laughs> came back to you and i was listening to what you were saying but now i can't think fast on the fly <laughs> no worries i you know, know i know a lot of things are happening <laughs> but yeah yeah and uh, but that's the nice thing about having a podcast is you can edit it out <laughs> and oh, make it yeah. sound like, man, this guy comes up with these fast. How does he do that? Um, the best part. Oh, there was one other thing that I wanted to ask you a question about. Um, is there a difference between a middle act and a feature act? Yes. Well, because you've got yeah, I mean, an opener who usually then does the the MC job of introducing everybody else, right? Yeah, well, usually a feature is the middle act, but it's usually an opener. And a mid, a mid, they usually they use those terms interchangeably. Like whoever's playing in the middle is usually the feature. But um, a good a good frame of reference for that is that if you think about like, uh, like when Tiffany Haddish first came out, like really first into the national scene, she was headlining pretty quickly. Like when she started headlining, she didn't really middle much. She didn't middle much. Like she wasn't on the road opening for... Um, other comics doing the long long sets that a lot of comics in my day and age have been doing because mm. uh she got such good exposure and then you know you know she didn't have she didn't have to she was able to get a special she was able to, to put out her work so there's a there's a way you can do it sometimes where you don't have to middle much but also it's good practice in middling it's good practice in being the feature act um but yeah the opener's job is always to like set the show up get everybody ready we're the opener is rarely going to kill. They're yeah. usually, they call it, they call it taking the bullet. Cause that's what it is. That's what it is. Often it's people just are taking people their in drink the right orders. Mind. Yeah. People are getting their drink orders in They're You know, they're calling their friend who's late They're They're settling in. A lot of them are distracted. When the feature comes out, they're usually going to do a longer set, like 20 minutes and really like bring some hard hitting work that they've been working on. And you'll, you'll see the growth of a comedian in that set. And then usually they have a headliner was doing 45 minutes to an hour and um i had to headline a lot right before my album to get ready for it and mm. it was really difficult i was like doing clubs that were empty just because they had the space to give me that many that many minutes but a lot of those people especially like in boston and dc who came to these empty clubs like 12 people who bought a ticket and let yeah. me work out this hour i am so thankful for those people like if i see them again please say hello to me because they those those terrible shows that I did for just a couple months helped me work it out. It just yeah. helped me get those minutes. So, all right, we talked about the you got hosts, middle slash feature headliners, and there's different kinds of spots too. Like you said, you started at an open mic, which I would imagine is how ninety nine percent of comedians start, right? Yeah, um, totally. And then I've heard on podcasts people talk about bringer shows what's a what's a bringer show so a bringer shows when like a club or some type of comedy venue convinces you that hey you could be a star chris you could be the next comedian all you have to do is get 10 or 15 of your friends to buy a ticket to your comedy show that we're going to put on and then when they buy a ticket and fill up the audience we're going to give you a small set to do <laughs> all of our house comedians are going to do a set some of them are also going to bring people because they're also doing bringer shows. So it's like a way to like, the industry sometimes will trick young people into thinking like, this is a way to audition. 
and maybe be a part of, become a part of this club. And maybe for some people that is, but for most people who haven't been practicing comedy and are just trying to jump the line and get in front of this club, they're going to sell a bunch of tickets, bring a bunch of people, do a not very good set, not good enough <laughs> to be passed at the club or be recognized even in the street. And then they will go about, about their lives and the producer of that show or the owner of that club has just like packed an audience and sold tickets and drinks and everything. And they didn't even have to pay a bunch of like fancy comedians because young people want to come and audition and, and do the bringer show. But yeah, I uh, didn't do bringer shows. I'm absolutely not going to do bringer shows. And that's just, it's just not for me. <laughs> yeah. Well, I can see immediately how it could almost turn into like a battle of the band style atmosphere where everybody's yeah. like, Hissing at the comedians that aren't their friend totally. and then just going stupid for their friends. And some of them are like, I brought my whole family tonight and my family thinks that this is a really big opportunity to me. It's like your family doesn't know anything about comedy. <laughs> they don't know anything. And the fact that you let somebody convince you that this is a real thing, um, you know, it's just, it's just not, it's not as much as it used to be. Yeah. <laughs> now, you had talked about people going up and just eating shit, <laughs> doing sits like that. But, um, have you ever seen somebody that like for the first time you saw them and they had a terrible set, but you could tell they were still a good comedian, even though they bombed. Yeah. Plenty of times. I mean, I've had to look in in the mirror and look at myself and say, dang, you ate shit tonight. If I didn't know you, I would have walked in the club and saw you and been like, this girl should stop. What is she doing? You know, but it's like, that's just a part of the process. It's a part of being an artist. Unfortunately, sometimes, I I don't I can't think of a comedian in the history who hasn't eaten shit. Um, but there's a different way, you know. Like there's comedians before that I've seen eat shit at like open mics, and they were just getting started. And I was like, yeah, but you ate shit, and I always see you eat shit, and I think you like shit. Like I don't think you even know <laughs> good food because this is what it is. But it's like people respect even when I have a bad set. People are like, you were really working on something. <laughs> you were really trying to sort something out tonight. And I'm like, yeah. I went for it. I went for it. Well, so, yeah, it's like that's it's pushing the boundary. We have to push the boundary. It's like we don't know until we try. Unfortunately, with comedy, you you sit at home and you think this is funny, but then you say it out loud and you're like, "Was I wrong?" <laughs> yeah. It's like, oh, that's why that didn't get any likes on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, is there? like a genetic makeup for what makes a good comedian? Cause there's so many different kinds of comedians ranging from gender, race, clean, dirty, extremely vulgar, but like at the heart of it all, they all want to be on a stage and in front of a microphone trying to make people laugh. So what's the, what's the I common so. denominator? Just a, just a um, unashamedly huge desire for attention or. I think that's part of it for sure comedians can most eat and not all of them because some of them actually hate the attention they're getting and they they hate this trade-off of like I have to do comedy in front of people there's no other way um but yeah like I think I think it's in my DNA I'm in a relationship with a comedian now and I always say that if we have kids they better be funny or else like what did we do it for you know like it'll funny tall baby it'll be the opposite of like most comedians where it's like their engineer parents were like no you're a comedian oh what are you doing he's like we gotta we're really really worried about the ozone layer and i'm like this nerd oh god what are we gonna do you know um but yeah i think it also has to do with like um coping mechanism mechanisms 
I think coping yeah. mechanisms are a big part of it. I really started to feel the power of comedy as a young girl when I used to tell jokes from my grandmother. She was really handicapped. She had had like a lot of surgeries on her legs, like oh. in the like 40s. So she would like rock and pain a lot. And even though they would give her pain meds, like there was like so much they could do. She had old metal in her legs. What are you going to do? It's yeah. going to hurt when it rains, you know? Um, but anytime <laughs> I would like engage her and really get her laughing, I would notice how it was like the laughter would kind of edge out the pain and she would start to forget about it and stop rocking as much and could sit and chat with me for a little bit and reminisce and have a good time. And I was like, man, laughter is so powerful. And when you wield that power, it makes you feel great. So it's like, yeah, it's literally it's, medicine. It's, it's, yeah. It's like a really like genuine and incredible power, but it's also like this narcissistic thing where it's like, I can give you <laughs> bliss. I can fill your whole mind up with fuzzy warm thoughts and good feelings and memories and you won't even worry about your rent. That's too soon. <laughs> <laughs> so speaking of rent being due soon, you do comedy 100%. That's, that's where your money comes yeah. from, right? How long has yeah, that been the case for you? Well, I'm eight years in. I think I went full-time, I would say, uh, probably three and a half years ago. So yeah. what's scarier? And, and, oh, I'm sorry. Do you want to finish no. your thought and then I'll ask you? No, no, no. Okay. okay. Yeah, what, I was going to say, what's scarier, getting into comedy, like, you know, when you first seriously get into it, or when you say, this is all I'm going to do now? Uh, saying that, that like that cross that that threshold of like I don't have a part time job anymore because that's how I did it. I had a full time job and then I had a part time job and then I just like quit the part time job. Um, that was really scary. It felt really crazy, and it's just like one of those things with comedy money. Like, it, it's not very traceable. So I get I got paid from this club. I got paid from this commercial I was in. I got paid from this. Two weeks from now, I might not get any of those paychecks. I might have a whole different realm of how I made money. Like sometimes I'm writing greeting cards or I'm writing speeches. Like I've done incredible things in the comedy realm to make money. So it feels crazy because you don't always know. It's not on a schedule. I don't know if the next project is coming. Um, yeah. And well, But jumping out on that ledge is like the only way to do it at, at a certain point. Because if you have a plan B, you'll go to plan B. And that was the yeah. thing that I told myself from jump. Like when you go to do this and really commit to this, you have to give it a thousand percent and then either run yourself into the ground and find out you can't, or we're going to have to make it because I'm not turning back. <laughs> you yeah. Know? yeah, for sure. But yeah. It was scary. And I still amaze myself every time I'm able to like buy anything with comedy money. It feels incredible. It's yeah. like magic. I'm I can't sure. believe like, it. Did, you must, well, at least this is how I think I would feel if I were in your position. Just like I would wake up in the morning and be like, I don't have to go to work today because I'm surviving on my own imagination, creativity, and hard work, which is a mind thought, fucking baby. itself. Huh? Just off the, this, this, this silly thing that I wrote down and then sent into a microphone and now someone else pay me money to put it on the TV show. Like when you really break it down to it, I, I just make money with my mind and, and it's amazing. And it's like, some days it's really hard and stressful. And some days I have to get up at 5am, 6am to go to a, a voiceover audition and get my hair ready. And like, I have to do all types of things that aren't really related to the comedy, comedy part of it yet. But I always find so much like pleasure in reminding myself, like I, my alarm went off early and maybe I'm stressed right now, but I'm not working for nobody else. You know, I'm, yeah. I'm making money off of my art. I'm moving my career forward, my legacy forward. 
and um you know i i will i could literally die tomorrow and have a lot of peace with i was on the path and i was trying it i was giving it my all so let's just keep doing it hopefully you have a lot longer than tomorrow though <laughs> yeah a few days i think <laughs> um all right we'll wrap this up soon um but oh god there was one other thing i really wanted to ask you to um Oh, it was, I think it was around probably uh, jumping into comedy with both feet because <clears throat> I had been teaching in middle school for a while. And then my wife got pregnant with our fourth kid because she just can't keep her hands off me. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, I mean, look at me. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, then we were like, all right, you know what? You make enough money that I'll stay home with the kids for a while because you know, teacher at a charter school wasn't making any money. Um, and after a little while, she was like, Hey, write that book that you said you were going to write. And I was like, okay. I wrote that book. She read it. She's like, Hey, this is pretty good. You should just stick with this. And I was like, yeah, okay. So I let my license expire and almost universally, everybody was like, Oh dude, don't let your license, you keep the license. Cause if nothing else, then you can at least do that. And then you can write in the summertime or you can try to retire early with it. You know, like, but the the idea that I would try to jump into something as silly as writing fiction for money, it, you know, people just couldn't fathom that. And yeah, people have a lot of fears. We're like, don't do it, don't do that. Did you get that too? People have so many fears. Yeah, I got so many, so many people that said that. Even like people who were like sometimes well versed in comedy. When I told them like, yeah, I think I'm about to move to New York, they're like, oh my god, girl, you're gonna be so poor. And you're going to be a vagabond out on the street selling your jokes for pennies. Don't do it. The city <laughs> will eat you alive, sweetheart. You know, they, they they were afraid for me, just like your friends were afraid for you. And they don't want to see a struggle. And they also don't really want to have to, like, loan us money. They don't want to deal with that, <laughs> you know. Um, but it's, just, it's, just, it's a really hard thing about pursuing a life that's really rooted in happiness and being, like, your really authentic self and, you know, all of those cliches about your dreams and legacy, but it's yeah. like, you have to push through all those fears that they feel for you and go do the thing because they don't have to live your life. You know, the person yeah. that's always going to try to push you back into comfort and into going to something that's safe. They don't care about you as much as the people that are saying, no, do the uncomfortable thing, sell all mm-hmm. your stuff, move to New York because you will only move forward in that direction. And, and we can't go back. So yeah, it's there's sad. a lot of people with that frenemy mentality. I want to be close to you. I enjoy being around you, but I don't want you to do better than me. Yeah, I want you to stay right where it's comfortable, where you just make funny jokes at my house, barbecues, and then boom, I could see all the time. Don't like move to New York and be a funny person I have to share. And I'm yeah. like, fuck you, bro. You don't care about me. <laughs> Later. <laughs> um, all right, let me just take one second and look at some of these stupid things that I wrote down here. Um. Yeah, I think we get through all those. Oh, you know what, though? <clears throat> One thing that I've heard a lot of comedians talk about is they'll say like, oh, yeah, you know, me and my friends after a set, they'll we'll sit around and we'll just tag jokes. So what does tagging a joke actually mean from a comedian? What is what is a oh. tag? A tag is um, it's basically like um, a line that you add at the end of a joke that amplifies the previous idea or makes a new funny idea so you might have a joke that just goes ba ba da ba da ba da ba da but then so the next time it could be you like do an it, extra punchline or just like yeah the next time you do it you go ba ba da ba da 
Ba-da, ba-da, ba-da. And then they're like, whoa, you just like, that was a different tag. So it's just like a way of uh, creatively amplifying an idea that you already uh, were talking about. And sometimes when you're hanging out with comedians, we naturally tag each other's jokes just because our brain takes a thought and then runs with it. And then we, yeah. you know, just share, hey, this is what, here's what my brain did with it. I don't know if you're on that same, you know, whatever. Um, and it's something that we often see if we're just hanging out with a group of friends tagging each other's jokes like you don't realize that that's what it's called but in our daily lives we do that all the time uh even yeah. with strangers a group of friends you might just somebody. call it one-upping each other yeah mm-hmm. you you yeah. see you see a car accident with someone and you walk up to somebody and you're like this guy yeah you know like you're you're tagging stuff all the time <laughs> right but, yeah i do what else i wanted to say the last thing i wanted to say is that um it's a common trope in comedy that like there's this constant argument about women being funny and female comedians and blah 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 and um i i never have subscribed to the idea that like women aren't funny obviously i i'm a funny lady but i think that sometimes when we we say stuff like that we don't realize how much we make it true you know because Mm -hmm. when you're a woman and you're existing in a world where men are always telling you that you're not funny then when you have a funny thought or a funny idea or a funny project you just don't make it you just don't even try it because all these voices have been saying, you're not even capable. Don't get crazy, baby girl, with your silly ideas, you know? And so I always feel like, man, there's like a lady who's in North Dakota and she's like an orthodontist or something. And she's so funny and she's such a talented writer and we'll never hear her voice because her whole life people have been telling her, you can't even aspire to think that your thoughts are good. So, you know, we have to think about that type of language and think about the realities that we create if you want to see funnier women. Yeah, I really wanted to add that. (laughs) Yeah, no, I'm glad you did. And then, okay, the last thing that I'm going to ask you, and we can sort of end on that then, is some people say that, you know, comic and some people say comedian. Is there a difference? And what do you call yourself? I call myself a comic and a comedian. I don't really like comedian. Um, Some people (laughs) like that. Like, it's kind of like the female term for a comedian. I don't really like that. I don't think that comedian is uh gender specific like right. saying that i'm a you'll comedian hear people say, say, well i think you guys talked about that you'll get introduced as their next female comedian or this next yeah. comedian's a lady yeah i don't think it's i don't think that's necessarily helpful <laughs> you know i don't think that's conducive to like keeping the ball rolling and having a good show um so yeah i like, it would be funny if you're like this next comedian has testicles <laughs> totally totally and i do that all the time like purposefully but also not on purpose is that I, when I'm speaking to someone, like I, I could be talking to you about a comedian that I know. I'll be like, oh, I was hanging out with uh, so-and-so. He's a boy comedian. I always say that. I call them boy comedians. And then the yeah. girls are just comedians um, because they are children. <laughs> <You know? laughs> but yeah, I'm, I think when people, whenever people say like a person is a comic comic, uh, that's a way of like labeling a comedian saying that they, they really are about the craft of writing good jokes working on good jokes, performing good jokes. Other people sometimes could like be a comedian, but they also do songs and they have a PowerPoint, you know, like that's whatever, whatever. But a comedian, yeah, comedian yeah. or a comics, comic is like the tried and true Louis C.K., Dave Chappelle approach. You write the joke, you say the joke. Yeah. <laughs> <sighs> well, is there anything else that you would like to say in closing and then... Uh... Tell people, you know, website, special, where they can get everything, social media, everything. 
Yeah, totally. I'm gonna, you know, close by saying something super positive and warm and fuzzy, and that's like, please chase your dreams, please believe in your art, and support the people that support you. Because when you invest in them and you invest in the people that show you love, you build out love that will support you at a later date. So, you know, keep that energy going. Um, you guys can follow me on Instagram at Chanel Ali. That's Chanel like the perfume, Ali like Muhammad. Uh, I always post my show dates there, let you know when I'm on tour. Also, my album, Chanel Number no. 1, is available on all streaming platforms, including Napster. So there's no excuse. Go <laughs> listen to it. It's 57 minutes and 57 seconds of me being very silly. It's a good time. Yeah. And I love, too, that you've got the Chanel perfume with the with the weed inside because that'll make it even harder yeah. for people to confuse your name for channel exactly and it's like i gotta build in these safe sales or what like what kind of life am i gonna live <laughs> uh well chanel thank you so much for coming i uh gotta get going i'm sure that you're a, a busy woman who has <laughs> better things to do than talk to me in my basement so um <laughs> thank you i appreciate all of your comedy and i appreciate your energy because a whole big part of this show, why why I did it was because I was inspired by people who, you know, encouraged me to keep moving creatively. And I wanted to, you know, put some of that out into the universe, too. So thanks for uh, being a part Absolutely. of that with me today. I appreciate you. And if, next time I'm in Michigan, you'll know. And next time you're in Michigan, I'll be that dude who's like, ha! Yeah! <laughs> Well, all the best of luck to you. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And I love talking to you. Thanks so much. Have a good night. You too. Take care. All right. Thanks everybody for listening. Make sure that you check out Chanel Ali, get that album, see everything that she's got on YouTube. Go, go do it now. Thanks everybody. Have a good one. <laughs>